0: Sometimes a book is best when you read the last page first. Do you ever do that? Do you ever flip to the end and read the last page first? I didn't get it at first. Uh, I I think, why would you ruin the ending? Until I read an 800-page historical fiction. I had a week of vacation and nothing to do but read. So I thought, I'll get this. This is great. And I liked it. It was set in New Zealand during the gold rush. It had all these interesting characters that I was getting drawn into. And the plot was amazing. I was just like, wow, there's that twist, there's that turn. And I thought, this woman who wrote this is an amazing author. How in the world will she ever resolve all this in the end? But it's kind of like she just got to page 800. The publisher said there's no way you can make a paperback bigger than 800 pages. And she went, the end. And I was like, what? (laughs) All those loose ends are unresolved. All these characters don't even make any sense anymore. I was so mad. I took that 800-page book and I just slammed it right in the bathroom garbage and said, why did I invest all that time in a book with a totally inadequate ending? Well, I say to you today, I hope you're not investing all your time in God for an inadequate and unsatisfactory ending. Why don't we flip to the last page of the book this morning? Revelation chapter 21, and we'll refer to 22 as well. But if you want to open to Revelation chapter 21, verse 1, it gives us how the story ends. These are powerful scriptures. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. So everything that we now know as real is gone in this world down below. And even the world up above of heaven is gone. Instead, a new heaven is coming down to earth. It's quite a vision. It continues in verse 2. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. The scripture uses this analogy of... God pouring his love out on his people like a groom would pour out his love on a bride. He uses it all through scripture to describe God's heart for us. But the picture in scripture is a sad one because it is a picture of a bride that turns away from the love of her groom. It's a picture of a bride that thinks she will find more fulfillment in the arms of someone else. And so God says, my people have forsaken me and the love I poured out on them. Instead of being beautiful, and pure, they become filthy and they become a broken bride. And that is the picture throughout a lot of scripture. But this says that someday the bride will be restored to a radiance that can only be compared to jewels and gold shining in the light, a bride without any spot or wrinkle or imperfection. And in verse three, it says, I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. This is an incredible intimacy with God. It's the experience of every person now, not just a select few. The chapter goes on to say that God's radiance is so great that they don't even need any sun. He's just radiating that. So the forecast in heaven is 25 and sunny forever. Does anyone want to go there today? That actually is quite a proposition, what I just said, going there today. Um, But these people are living in an inexhaustible river of God's love and life. They're actually participating in the cycle of God's own life because the Father loves the Son, and the Son responds back in love to the Father and the Holy Spirit. And, and, And people are getting caught up in that cycle of love given and love returned, that Is heaven on earth and in verse 4 it says he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain all these things are gone forever are you ready for that and the one sitting on the throne said look I am making everything new oh wow now Jesus called it the regeneration of the world, the making it all over again. Paul called it the new creation. In uh, 1 Corinthians 15, he described what will happen to us. He said, you've had these poor, sad bodies that break down. You break one toe and you can't even walk right anymore, let alone a major breakdown in your body. That old body that's so prone to failure, And corruption and is doomed to die someday will be exchanged for a glorious body where the spirit has infused the physical, and you have become everything you were meant to be. Women, you are beautiful now, and your husband means it when he says that, but you will be reflecting the beauty and radiance of God Almighty in heaven. You will be spectacularly beautiful. Beautiful. And men, we've seen the X-Men, and we wanted to be that man. But new creation men and women make X-Men look like no men. Because in heaven, we truly are resurrected physically and allowed to just flow with that life and power that God meant to erupt in us as human beings. Romans 8 says that, All of creation has been subjected to frustration, but it longs for the day when there will be a glorious freedom and there will be no more wrong, no more things that don't work right. That is heaven on earth. Jesus said, heaven is like the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. Matthew 22, 2. Heaven is like a wedding feast. It's kind of like Christmas. Now, how many of you guys love Bob Lavers, our number one Coffee Stop fan of Christmas? We all love Bob. And he says every time, right now, he's doing the countdown to Christmas right now. But heaven is Christmas every day. It's the feast that you never get fat at. You know, it's just, it's going to be so great. And the new creation is only really getting started, you know, Isaiah said, of the increase of the kingdom of Jesus, there will be no end. And so when we think of heaven and heaven on earth, we often think of, well, that's how it all ends. No, that's how it all begins. The endless possibilities of life that has now been unshackled from sin. I like watching Survivor when Jeff Probst gives the reward and says, worth playing for and these hungry people say, oh yeah, it's worth playing for. Is it worth playing for, church? Is this heaven on earth, this new creation, worth playing for? And I want to explain exactly how it works. And plus, you might be wondering, what, kind of, what could be better than heaven? What, what's with this title, Better Than Heaven? Well, the thing is, is, when we die now as believers, our spirit goes to be with the Lord in heaven. Our bodies remain in the ground. And we worship the Lord, and we are surrounded by his peace and his love. But you know what? That worship in heaven is actually very excited about what's yet to come. And it's saying, how long till you make everything new, Father? How long till our bodies are resurrected? How long till this creation is made all new? And so we look forward to something that's better than our stereotypical version of heaven. Do you realize you are never going to become an angel with a harp on a cloud? That's, that's never going to happen. Something infinitely better awaits you. I have a friend that uh, is going th- was going through a horrible time with uh, relationship problems with those that uh, she loved. And it was just ripping the guts out of her. And she heard a message uh, given by uh, one of the people from our church, just a lay person, who so eloquently presented the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, And one of the things he said, ministered to her so much, he said, what Jesus has done for us in giving us eternal salvation is so good that if that's all you get is that, and you get nothing else in your life, in fact, your life is full of suffering, It was more than worth it. It was enough in the end. Heaven is that good that no matter what you have to go through on earth, it is absolutely worth it. And so she was able to put her hope anew in Jesus. 2 Corinthians 4, 17 says, For this slight momentary affliction, this life, is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Because we look not at the things that are seen, but at the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. They're not going to last forever. But the things that are unseen are eternal. So the first point that we made was uh, the, actually the last point. Because remember, we're starting at the end of the book. We looked at it. The first point is that heaven is ultimately... The new creation. It's not just going to be with God when you die. It is when God makes everything new. And it is much beyond our expectations. The second point is that heaven isn't just something in the future. When you die and in the ultimate future when God recreates everything. Heaven is something we can pray down to earth now. The Lord's Prayer says, Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Can you see that? It's being done in heaven, and we're praying it down to earth. In Matthew 18, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, whatever you bind on earth has been bound in heaven. So if you say, we want to bind what Satan's doing here, heaven backs us up. And whatever you release on earth has been released in heaven. Lord, release your blessing. Release your new life in this situation. It's been released in heaven. And again, I tell you the truth. If two of you on earth agree about whatever you ask, my Father in heaven will do it for you. Now, I'm not sure how it all works, this prayer thing, because God says, I pray and it'll be done. And uh, sometimes it's not, because God's wise enough and good enough to have a better solution than what I'm asking for. But sometimes it is done, and quite spectacularly. And so even though I don't know all the answers to this, I know that this is what's happening when we pray. We're releasing heaven on earth. Whatever you release on earth will be released in heaven. This world's in a battle, guys, between heaven and hell. I've talked to people and they said, I don't believe in hell. I think now is hell. And that's because their life is so full of those troubles. As believers, we feel this struggle in our hearts between what God is going to do and what is This current situation we're in a battle and sometimes we get locked into that battle don't we we just can't see anymore but you know I want you to think like you're in on the front lines in a war and you're locked in with the enemy real close you know the best thing you can do step back about 100 yards and call in the heavy artillery and airstrikes that's about the best thing you can do except as Christians we're not calling in destruction on any other person we're calling a new life new hope new creation we're saying god send the power from heaven to earth and that's why it's so exciting to be a christian because you're part of bringing heaven to earth in bite-sized samples who likes to go to costco oh i like costco i can go hungry and i could theoretically not spend a dime and leave full Note the theoretically. But, you know, guys, we don't have, we, we, we can have these samples of heaven in our lives, these, these uh, first installments, and I'm going to get to a verse in a minute that explains that, but let me paint a picture for you. One of the most famous stories in the Bible is the story of the prodigal son, the bad son, who asked the, the good father, who represents God, for his inheritance in advance, takes it, goes and wastes it in doing sinful things, and then comes groveling back saying, I'm starving, would you take me back as a slave? And the father comes and says, oh my goodness, he runs and wraps the son up in his love and says, let's have a feast, let's kill the, the fatted calf, the best piece of uh, meat we have, and invite everyone to have a big feast. And that's not the point of what I want to tell you today. I want to tell you about the older son, the good son, the non-rebellious son, who stayed at home with the father, and he goes... Seriously? I didn't even have like a little goat with my friends. I didn't have a little party. I just worked for you. And the father comes to this miserable older son and says, oh, son, you, you didn't quite understand. I'm always with you. And everything that I have is yours. You could have enjoyed it at any time. Guys, I don't think we have any idea what heavenly resources have been put at our disposal. We go along with our heads down saying, Soldier on for Jesus. And there are a few moments where you have to do that sometimes. But if that's your whole life, you're like the older son who has no idea that he's living with this incredible inheritance available to him. All that I have is yours. Do you need some peace? God says, I've got it. Do you need some provision? I've got it. You need some victory over sin in your life? I've got it. Sickness? I can handle sickness. What is it that you need? All that I have is yours. Man, that'll change the way you pray. Praying down heaven to earth. In Ephesians chapter uh, 1, it's a bit of a long chapter, so I'm just going pick to out, pick out three verses And you'll see how they tie together. In verse 3, it says that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. That's again saying, those resources of heaven, they're yours. And then if we jump down to verse 11, it keeps the thought going. It says, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God. And it's speaking of heaven and, of course, now when I'm saying heaven, I'm saying the full deal. You know, the new creation and everything. But then verse 14 finishes it. The Spirit is God's guarantee, and the Greek word is erabon, that he will give us the inheritance. And this is a fun word, this erabon. It's translated correctly uh, as guarantee or down payment or deposit, depending on which translation you've got. And is an very simple. I went to the NET translation of the Bible online. It's kind of fun. It gives lots of explanations about what's going on. You might like it. And it says the Arabon is the first payment or first installment of money or goods, which serves as a guarantee or pledge for the completion of the transaction. So it's like, hey, here's your first installment. Here's the first bit of your inheritance. And you can have it now. Now, you're not going to get the whole meal deal, guys. It is like Costco a little bit. You're getting some samples here. But you can have some of it now. In intimacy with the Holy Spirit, the love and joy and peace of heaven can now be flowing into your life. Now. So here's our point so far. The third point first, heaven is ultimately the new creation. It is heaven come down to earth where we are physically resurrected in might and glory for a future of endless possibilities. Oh man, that sounds good to me. Number two, we can pray heaven down to earth now. The Holy Spirit is our first installment of heaven. He's a delicious sample of what the new creation is. He's our access point to our heavenly inheritance He's heaven's power that can be brought to bear upon every situation in our lives. And that brings us, because we're going backwards today, to the very first point. Heaven must begin in your heart. The average person in our society is basically unsure if heaven exists. While being at the same time sure that if it does exist, they're going there. Isn't that a little bit of a weird combination? You're unsure if heaven exists, or at least you couldn't give a good reason why you think it exists. But you're very sure that you're going there when you die. That uh, that that makes me want to dig a little deeper. That that logical inconsistency there. Now, our culture actually has its ideas of heaven not from philosophers, but from the teachings of Jesus Christ that have so deeply permeated our society. And so if you're going to hold a belief in heaven that comes from Jesus, perhaps we should look at what Jesus says about heaven, because Jesus says something very clearly about heaven. It's not automatic. In fact, he says there's going to be some very decent people that won't be part of it. In Matthew chapter 25, he says, to those on my right hand, come you who are blessed By my father, and inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Come on in to your inheritance. But he says to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Now, we don't have time to delve into the conception of hell and what that's all about. I don't have time to tell you that hell is really the systematic deconstruction and end of what a human's supposed to be, except that it goes on for eternity. That it almost basically reduces a human being from all that it could have been, what it is now, what it could have been in eternity, down to one thing that says, Jesus is Lord, and I didn't recognize that. And I don't want to dwell there, but I want you to understand what hell's all about it's depart from me and that's so scary because once you've departed from God you've departed from the source of love and joy and future for all it is and that is the scariest thing now the average person again in our society says I don't believe in a, a God of love would ever exclude me from heaven and I would say basically that is true God would never exclude you. God has been after you your entire life. He has put one sign after another in your life, one person after another in your life. He's put that hunger for himself in your heart. He has gone to the ultimate lengths to rescue you. He has sent his son to die on a cross, suffering all our sins and agonies, that he may rise again in triumph, able to recreate our hearts. But see, it's at the heart of the matter. If you say you believe in a God of love, you know what love demands? Love back. It takes two people to be in love. It takes two actors, not one. And God has done everything he possibly can to pour out that love upon you so that you, like a bride, could respond in love to God. See, I believe absolutely in a God of love, but if you believe God automatically takes you to anything, you actually aren't believing in love. Because heaven is the time when we get wrapped up in the love of God, in His given love through the Father, and returned love in the Son through the Holy Spirit. And so the response is absolutely essential. Ephesians 1.12, so that... Remember I gave you the series of verses from Ephesians? Right in the middle of it, it says that, he's, that Paul, who wrote it, is giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. What qualifies a person to share in that? Well, let me think about it for a second. If you want to be part of the new creation, you need a new creation in your heart. You need it to start. You need this response to start. You need to be born again is the phrase. You need for the Lord to come in and take the core of who you are and change it from being something that is caught in death and bring it to life. Ephesians 2.1 says you are dead in your transgressions and your sins. Oh man, that's so terrible. How many of us are, are in a situation... Where at the core of our being, there's an utter emptiness. And it is touching our mind and how we think. It is affecting our emotions and well-being. It affects our relationships. And it affects our life's work. Because at the core, it's dead. But when Jesus comes in, and the core comes alive then life begins to spread in how you think. It changes how you feel. It changes your relationships with others. It gives you a passion for your life's work and God's calling upon your life. And that is what it means to be born again. And man, you are ready for a heaven because you have begun the love response. And around that core of who you are, that core can survive the presence of a holy God. That core is what God will resurrect everything that you are around. And so let me ask you today about the core of who you are. Has it been born again? Has it responded to God? Have you read the back of your own story? Have you read the last page? Do you know how it goes? And why would you want to spend one moment in eternal insecurity, hoping hoping that you go to heaven when you die. Man, you've done a much better job preparing for your future next week and next month and maybe into retirement than you've done planning for eternity. We don't need to have that. Do you know that uh, 1 John says that you can know that you have eternal life? Man, I love that. No. Like, because when you've had life erupt in your heart and begin to change, you don't, heaven's not like a thing, gee, well, I hope I'm good enough. You go, oh no, I'm not good enough. I'm a mess. But God has begun a new work in my heart, and it's real, and it's changing everything. And I have a certainty in my own experience that there is much more. And in fact, I'm ready for it, and I can't wait for it. Friends, I want you to get ready read the back of the book and all you have to do is respond you just have to receive this it's so simple so easy in first john or sorry in john chapter 1 verse 12 it says but to all who believed in him and received him he gave the right to become children of god they are reborn not with a physical birth resulting from a human passion or plan but a birth that comes from God. So many of you here have received that new birth. And the message for you today was to start living out of heaven's resources now. And to remember what you're really working towards. But there's some of you here that haven't received this new birth from God. This recreation of who you are and the core of your being has not begun yet. And all you have to do is Respond. God's love is so strong for you right now. Today, it's been strong all your life. And right now, as he brings you to this moment, as he pours out his love, as he puts that desire in your heart for him, all you have to do is say, okay, I respond and receive him. I want you to consider if you're ready to do that. We're going to sing a chorus here. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. And and then you're going to have an opportunity to pray a prayer that goes something like this. I'm going to lead you in it. It's just going to be, Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that because of your life, your death for my sins, and your resurrection, that you can recreate me. I haven't followed you. I'm sorry for that. But I want to follow you now into a new freedom of obedience with you. And I want to be filled with heaven now, I want to start having the samples of the good stuff. And I want to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I'm going to have him when I die. Thank you for coming into my life. You see, anyone here can pray that prayer today. But I want you to see if you really mean it. If you're ready to respond to Christ. You'll have an opportunity in just a second.